Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. I, I just have to say that uh, if you were if you were with us uh, on Wednesday evening, um, man, I think that was the best church service I've ever been to. Um, it was it was just an awesome, awesome time of fellowship, and um, man, just an incredible focus on on Jesus. Um, <clears throat> the couple who uh, led kind of joined us and led us in worship, uh, Shane and Michaela. Um, we we they they have never been to California before. They're from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and and uh, so we we went to Yosemite on Thursday, and um, they were just kind of blown away because they they said they had mountains in Tennessee, and then they saw Yosemite, and um, so Ethan was with us. And one of the things that that uh, Shane kept being blown away with because he's he's very afraid of heights was Ethan talking about all the climbing in Yosemite, and and one of the things that um, one of the things that he was saying was. Um, if you're going to climb El Cap, it's for most people, it's a multi-day journey. And so you climb up and reach kind of the, the, the goal of that day, and then you sleep out on a ledge. It could be a, maybe a six-foot ledge or maybe a four-foot ledge or something like that, and that's where you sleep, and then you continue going up, up that face, um, up to the top. And um, it's interesting because over the last few years, God has very much been taking us on a journey um, that's been pretty uncomfortable for, for at least those of us up here. Um, um, God's been, God has been, what we've been kind of seeing is God has given us not the full picture of what he's doing, but each step. And after he gives us a step, he calls us to obey that step. Um, and that's what we've been experiencing. I said a little while ago that I'm not sure where God's taking us, but I know that um, he's taking us to a very significant place. And that's because I, I think I only was seeing the next step. And, and so kind of where we are today, um, I feel like we've ascend, ascended up the face of, of a rock. And we're not remotely to the top yet. But we are, we are at this ledge that God has placed us on. And we've, we've kind of done some hard work getting there. Um, and now we're kind of at this ledge. And what God wants to do is say, um, I use the word kind of to rest there for a minute. And after the service this morning, a couple people said, you said we get to rest. This doesn't feel like rest. <laughs> but what I mean is that there's a place of maybe clarity and a, a moment of, 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 of kind of taking inventory and saying, okay, this is where God has us. And, and all of these things that were each step has led to this point, and now it feels clear. And so hopefully this morning we can bring some clarity and some processing for us as a church to think about what is God doing? What does God want from us? And what does he want um, through us? And, and, and so this morning, we this is the leadership team, by the way. And um, so we want to share what God has done and where he's brought us to um, through kind of a, a couple weeks ago, we, we, we went away and spent some time together. And God really did, I think, give us a, a framework for what he's doing and what he wants from us in the form of kind of a statement. Um, and as we get into that this morning, we're going to kind of flesh that out to begin your processing of this. 
And um, <clears throat> when you hear it, understand that basically, we didn't, we didn't really realize this until after we, we were done. Um, basically, it's, it's just kind of a, a, a re, rewording in, in our context for specific purposes of what Jesus calls us to in Matthew 28 when he gives the Great Commission. Um, go therefore in all the world and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Um, we're just saying it in a little bit of a different way because that is the mission God has given us to. Um, that's what we're called to obey. And so, so this morning, we want to unpack that. We want to talk through that and have a little bit of conversation and begin, begin help, help the rest of our church begin to walk down this path. And so, so the statement is this, that Crosspoint Community Church is a family of priest disciples who make priest disciples of every, of every people, every person and every nation characterized by loving obedience to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Um, that's what God gave us um, that's where God, that's the ledge that God has placed us on to say, this is your foundation. This is your security. And so this morning, we want to kind of unpack that in front of you and, and have you begin to process and say, okay, um, because I believe that if, if you've been with us for any amount of time and you're still here, um, that means that, that um, God has been, I think that might mean that God has been moving you this direction. So this may not feel very surprising to you. Um, this may feel very much maybe where you've been, um, but we want to unpack that. So we're going to take kind of turns and take phrases here, and we're going to kind of unpack that and talk about it. So, Yeah, so that, that statement starts that, that the church is a family. I think, you know, before digging into this, it's interesting if you'd have asked me, you know, just thinking about Scripture, you know, what's the Scripture's main uh, characterization of the church? I probably would have used a word like it's body or kingdom. And those are very much there and legitimate metaphors that, that the writers of scriptures use to um, describe the church. But I was blown away when I looked into the words that are used um, that have a family connotation to them. Even just the, the, the word brother or brother and sisters, siblings, if you count that word only in the sense that it's used as the church being family, it's over 237 times in the New Testament. Over 200, and that's just one word group calling the church a family. Over 237 times. I think if you ask people outside of the church and you say, what's a church? You know, they'd say, well, it's a religious organization or a, a group of people who believe the same things religiously or spiritually. Um, but if you look at scripture, Yes, that may be true, but the church is a family. But then you got to dig deeper because what I'm finding when I study and I look into this is that um, our conception of family in, in 21st century uh, America is, is a bit different than first century Palestine. And the word that they were using when they're saying brothers and sisters and they're, they're borrowing that word of family to be a metaphor, to be a picture of the church, they're borrowing a metaphor and a picture that is far different than what we think when we think of the word family. Family was the closest, most loyal relationships you'd have. Now, you may say, well, that's true of how I think of 
of my family. But when, when Jesus and the disciples and those who wrote scripture were, were calling the church brothers and sisters to take that high view and place it onto something that was not that, that was not about bloodlines, was not about heritage, but to say, you people who come together in the name of Jesus, that's what a family is? That was a radical thing to say. We live in a, in a situation where um, individualism is king, right? Where what works best for me and is most convenient for me and, and what I see as good for me that's how I'm going to live my life and make my decisions, and that's my value set. We were born in it. That's just the way we have been raised. But not everyone in the world thinks that way, especially not then when Jesus was starting his church. We live in an individualistic culture. They lived in a, what's called a strong group culture where my identity and what's most important to me isn't me, it's what's good and best for the group. If you ask an American, tell me about yourself, the first thing they'll talk about is themselves. You ask someone from a strong group culture, tell me about yourself, they'll start talking about their family or their group. Their identity and the definition of who they are is defined by the people they are associated with. And so we have this individualism and we take the gospel and we apply our individualism to it and what we have is a church that may be an organization, may be people who care about each other, but we don't really tend to behave like a family would. When my daughter, May, broke her wrist um, pretty badly, um, and then there was going to have to be a surgery, there was a surgery, I didn't, for one second, question when she broke her wrist, I didn't sit there and say, huh, I wonder who's going to take care of her. Or when the bill came in the mail for the surgery. We all know that's fun. I didn't for one second say, huh, I wonder whose responsibility this is. Why? Because she's my family. But I've found that scripture tells me that's what you are to me, but I don't think that way about you. When you have a hurt, when you have a need, when you have a bill you can't pay, I may throw up a quick prayer, but do I look at your hurts and your needs and your responsibilities as my hurts and my needs and my responsibilities? Do I truly look at you as brothers and sisters? And, and I think that is what God is calling us back to. As we get closer and closer to the end of the age, I think God is calling us back to where it started, that we would actually truly, genuinely live as family, loving each other with that kind of love, being faithful to each other with that kind of loyalty and depth of commitment and conviction that we belong to each other. I think that's what God is calling us back to. And so when we say Crosspoint is a family, that's partially what we mean. Yeah, you know, I, I think for me, um, even the local body, not even to begin to talk about the global body of Christ. I have not seen that. I've, I've described it as family, but I haven't really lived that out. Um, I, I like to be an individual. Um, I walk faster than most people, so 
regularly. Sherry's like, why don't you just go on ahead? You just, I'll be fine back here. Um, if I'm sick, I just want people to leave me alone. Um, don't try, if I die, I die. You know, I mean, like the Ivan Drago, if he dies, he dies. But um, I just, I, I, I don't want to, I mean, just, it's just part of my, I think, my culture and my nature, and I, I don't want that. And, and I think part of that is, is that sin in me and rebellion of not wanting to de be dependent, not wanting to have to rely on, not having to, have to, having to deal with those things. And, and it's, it's interesting because over the last couple of years for me, um, God has just more and more emphasized the fact that his people are a family in the deepest and most inconvenient sense of the word family. Um, just a, a little while ago, Sherry and I were in Cork, Ireland, and um, there's a huge cathedral called St. Coleman's uh, Cathedral. It's, it's massive. Um, and uh, so it's a Catholic church, and we happened to be walking by at morning mass, and we went inside to check it out because I never... I, I've, I've been in giant cathedrals throughout, throughout Europe, and um, my, my, my evaluation of them is that they're big oftentimes gaudy and empty of life and empty of the spirit. And um, that's kind of, that was my kind of decision about that. And so we walked in and we came in right when the priest was doing the Eucharist communion. And man, in that moment, it was so, I've never experienced this before, but in that moment, I felt like I was home. I felt like I was with family because there was other people brothers and sisters, partaking in the Lord's body and his blood. And they were in a posture of surrender to Jesus in that moment. And in that moment, it was like the Spirit said, now you can repent and confess and say you're sorry for your arrogance of deciding that your way is better. Um, and it was just, it was an amazing moment of, of being across the globe and feeling like I literally was at home in that moment. And there's really important things that we, we need to recognize that are foundational to our faith. There's a lot of things that we dismiss family members for that aren't that important. Um, and, and for me, it was a moment of repentance for my arrogance and uh, what God was doing in that moment. I think um, when I was thinking about, about family, um, kind of thought through three words um, the first being um, love, that family really needs to be about about love, and and I think I think what I think is true is that um, we don't do family very well. We we are very individualistic, um, and and even like. Um, uh, sometimes it's it's not, it's less family and maybe more tribalism or more these are my people kind of thing. But but really, when the Bible talks about family, the the brothers and sisters of Christ, that it's about loving all of them, and and um, having love for all. And I think um, love has to come first because nothing else really can happen without that. And, and I think I think unity is the second thing that that comes to mind is, is that we, we need to be united um, around and solely on King Jesus. It, there, there can't be anything else. 
There can't be anything that we hold above that. And so if we, if we are loving each other well, like the Bible calls us to, and we are united under King Jesus, then nothing else is gonna, should divide us. Um, and unity doesn't mean that we are all the same. There there's, can be a difference within uh, unity and, and love. I mean, these, these three guys all love flannel, and I don't. Um, <laughs> That's okay, right? Um, but sometimes we get that mixed up. We think that um, if we're united, we all have to believe the exact same things. But that's not true. We have to be united under Jesus as king, and we do that in love with one another. And I think that um, what makes those things possible, and I think all of these work together, is, is humility. Is, is We have to be able to say um, and live out humility that says... Um, I'm going to give the best of what I have for the benefit of someone else. I'm going to put someone else ab- above me or more important than me. I'm going to give all that I have for someone else as, as King Jesus has, has commanded me. And we've been talking, I've been here for seven years, and we've been talking about humility for seven years. And I love that we talk about it as much today as we did seven years ago. And, and I know it was talked about before I got here. And that's not, a, that's not a common church thing. Um, but uh, family, to me, is, is, is love united through humility, surrounded and under the authority of Jesus. And I think if we can live that out better than we have, then I think we get to experience something exponentially better than we have experienced in the past. But we have to live those things. I think one last thing I would just add to the, the idea of family is I do think we probably, we definitely need to acknowledge that it's going to be like an uphill battle to reclaim us being known and experiencing each other as family. Um, I just think we got to recognize that because even though it's really, really explicit in scripture, it's also not really in the air that we breathe, like culturally. Like it's just not what we read about in Scripture just isn't what we live in our daily life when it comes to this idea of us being family. It's hard enough with, like, blood family to embrace some of these things like that we see, uh, let alone people who go different places, don't spend as much time together maybe, have some differing of opinions and values and stuff like that. And um, I, I, that leads me to believe that there's just no way in the world that we're going to wake up one day and said, we changed our mind, we're going to function as a family, look at how great we've been doing. I think it will be, it will take some very, very intentional steps. I think it will cost us some things. Um, I think whatever it costs us will be nothing compared to what we get, but it will feel like aggressive, I think, in the moment. And so just knowing that this this is going to be a process if we take seriously how to embrace family, because we know what a club looks like. We know what being a part of an organization looks like. We experience that all the time. Um, I, would, I would venture to say maybe most of us don't know what it means to be part of a, what'd you call it, large group? A strong strong group, group. A strong group type of family. Um, I've been raised in church my whole life, and there's been lots of systems set up to simulate family, but I think I would feel confident saying I've never actually experienced the church being family. And I think if we're going to do this thing right, um, that needs to be a, a massive priority. Can I just, one thing, Lord, I think put on my heart is this, is that I think we have to ask the question, when we're priest disciples who make priest disciples, what are we bringing them into? If, if someone 
surrenders to Jesus, and then they ask, now what? Who we are and how we live together is going to be the environment that they're brought into. If we're just an organization, they can find a 100 organizations to be part of. If it's just a bunch of people who all think the same, you can find that in a political party, you can find that on the internet, you can find that somewhere else. But a family, that's different. And so it's not just about us loving each other, it's about what we're bringing people into once they surrender to Jesus. And this just kind of hit me, and again, this is, this is not, just throw this out there. I wonder, I wonder if the way we sit in this room betrays what we actually think about this being a family. I don't know. It just kind of, I mean, I guess I do that when I go places. I don't sit. I sit with the people I find um, connection with, and I intentionally don't sit where I don't find connection. And um, I don't know. I just, I wonder about that. I wonder if that's, I wonder if this image in here right now is maybe a picture of how, how we really feel versus what God calls us to. Um, so the next part of the statement is we're, we want to be a family of priest disciples that make priest disciples. And so what does that mean? That's like some grade A like Christian jargon. Like what in the world does that mean? Um, we, we specifically chose those terms um, because of how potent they are for who God wants his church to be. There's lots of ways that God describes his people and his followers, um, and they all show like the multifaceted kind of relationship that God wants with his people. But we chose those two specifically because of what they mean for us as a family, uh, as we see revealed in scripture, and also to cover over our own cultural baggage, I guess, is the best way of saying it with both of those terms. And so let me explain what I mean. When we think of a priest, right, we've been talking about this over the last few weeks, if you've been here, like our mind jumps to a certain place, maybe something we've experienced or something we've seen put out in front of us. Um, I, th I would say probably most of us, when we think of priest, at least before we started this conversation, would think of a person that kind of is a mediator between God and people, but it's definitely not us. It's kind of a special class of people or whatever, and they're the ones that do, do all the work. Um, on the flip side, when we talk about disciples, if we've been in church for a long time or if we've even just had discipleship explained to us by someone, probably our mind jumps to, oh, that's, that's what you do to learn more about who God is, to acquire information about God so that you can live the way that you need to live. Um, what we feel pretty strongly is about is both of those are missing pieces, and so when we put them together, it actually gives us a fuller picture of what God has called us to, especially with the baggage that we bring into it. So God, uh, God very clearly calls his followers disciples all through the Gospels, all through the New Testament. Um, I think we already mentioned like Matthew, uh, Matthew 28 where he says, go into all the nations making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that, that I've commanded you. I don't know how we've read that over the years and think that that's only about taking in. It's a very action-oriented call, uh, but... But so often it can be easy for us to just think this is about acquiring information or living a better life. Uh, but what we know to be true from Scripture is that the disciples, from the moment Jesus called them to follow him, in the 12 disciples, in a larger group of disciples, in the, the early church, it was a very action-oriented 
title that they were given. Jesus was constantly sending them out. He was teaching them. They were lifelong learners, but they were on the go too. They were doing stuff and sometimes making big mistakes that required them to come back to Jesus and say, hey, so what, did, what, what am I supposed to be doing? And he constantly was like teaching them how to do that better. And so when we talk about us being disciples, it is this constant cycle of lifelong learning from God to live the way that he's called us to live. But we added that that priest component into it because it is, as we've been discovering in First Peter, it is a, a calling that we've been chosen to come in and be a part of. We see that explicitly in First Peter, but we talked about this a few weeks ago, the idea of us being priests co-working with God, that is very obviously woven all throughout the pages of Scripture, all the way back to the beginning in the garden. That I, I truly believe that's God's intention for his relationship with us and that um, we have a job to do as followers of Jesus to represent God to people and to focus people toward God and that we don't get to decide we're going to fall on one side or the other of that statement. We don't get to decide to be people. Well, I'm more of like a uh, information type person. I love to like help other people learn more about who God is in a very controlled context. I do 15 Bible studies. I have a whole bunch of mentorship relationships. They're all Christians, so don't ask about it. Like we don't get the luxury of saying that's all I'm going to do because that's only half of what God has called us to do. We also don't get the luxury of being like, hey man, I'm on the go, so I don't really need to invest any time like getting to know God better. I, I, I actually get to ig ignore my greater family because I'm busy. I got things to do. I'm out there doing the priestly duties. We don't get the luxury of doing that. We are called to be both, and so we feel like both of those terms really help us keep our focus on who we're meant to be. And uh, that leads us to that second part of that statement, that go out to make more priest disciples. This is what Travis was talking about, what we're calling people into. Um, our job isn't to fill a room or to uh, just, like, spit out a bunch of truth at somebody and whatever happens, whatever happens. Like, what we are called to do is to make more of the same kind of people that we are choosing to be. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes that change. But our job is to go out and represent God well enough that that's, that's what they're stepping into when they choose to. So, whatever you guys want to add to that. Oh, man, no commentary? Oh, that's stressful. I don't like that. So, <laughs> um, that picture of someone just gaining knowledge and gaining knowledge and gaining knowledge and telling other people what they know, that's pretty much me. Um, for most of my adult life. I love learning. I love learning new things. I love learning specifically more about Scripture and how to study Scripture, and I love teaching other people about Scripture. Um, but I've treated the obedience of the mission as optional for most of my life. And I'm in a place of deep conviction over these past couple years that I can't call myself a disciple of Jesus if I'm not doing the things Jesus did. Disciples don't just onboard information. They do what their master says. I'm not saying I haven't been saved. I'm not saying if you're not in a place of, you know, radical obedience or whatever that you're not saved. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to count myself a disciple, I have to do the things Jesus did. I have to do the things he called me to do. And if not, I'm in disobedience. And um, that's the conviction I'm under 
No. I, I think two things. Um, one, um, a disciple, the primary identifying characteristic of a disciple is that they obey their master's teaching. Um, a primary characteristic of a disciple is not they protect their master's teachings. And I think there's a, there's a difference between those two things. I, I think in the church today, and I think I've grown up in a context, and I have been, in the same way, I have been so, I think, in a lot of ways guilty of this, that I've spent a lot of my life protecting what Jesus has said versus obeying what Jesus has said. And so the first thing that I think we have to relearn is that a disciple obeys. A disciple doesn't protect the teaching. Um, the second thing is I think a priest, he or she lives in a way that it is dependent on, on them for other people to come to Christ. Um, and, and just, here's what I'm not saying. I, I know, and the Bible is very clear, that um, anyone can come to Jesus, to, to God, to Jesus Christ, alone, without any mediator. There's one mediator between man and God, and that is Jesus Christ, and he has taken care of that. But here's what I think the urgency that if, if I really do believe I'm a priest, the urgency with which I live is that I live in a manner that it is up to me that any person that I come in contact with, that person can find Christ through me. And that person has to find Christ through me. That's the urgency that I think we have to live with. And I, don't, I have not lived with that urgency at all. I have not lived with that urgency in my life. I'm, I'm starting to understand that and realize that I have to live that way. And so I think that is what a priest disciple is. It is a person who lives with an urgency that everyone they come in contact with must meet Jesus through them and that they are going to obey what Jesus says. Forget, forget about just kind of feeling awkward or saying, ah, no, I didn't have a good opportunity. That just didn't present itself. Forget about the awkwardness or the cultural do's and don'ts and forget about protecting the gospel. Obey the gospel. And I think that's, for me, that's what priest-disciple means and that that as a priest disciple, I start making priest disciples as soon as I meet Jesus because I'm a priest and I'm a disciple. I think, um, you know, uh, everything that, that is said on this part, like, it's something that we have been working to live. And, and so the question for me always comes down to with any of this kind of stuff is like, okay, so now what? Like, what do I, what do I do with this? Because this is, this could just be more knowledge and, and then like, so what? And, and I, and what I would encourage you to do is, um, is that step, step of action. Uh, it's, uh, it's the hardest, simplest thing that I think I've done in my life. And, and, um, it's, it's a continual struggle, I'll be honest, but, um, and, and we've talked about this before, but, um, Take, take that step of obedience and every morning just just pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to today? And um, it's not, and don't expect that he's gonna like give you an answer right then, but, but let that create your posture 
for the day of essentially saying, Holy Spirit, I am open and available for whatever you want to do today. And then when that moment comes, have the courage to step into it. It's, it's not, it's, it's going to be scary. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be convenient. It's, it's nothing that you're going to like be able to schedule out on your planner to do. But each morning, set yourself up in that posture. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to share with today? Let that posture be your posture for the day. And then when it happens, just step into it. Just step into it and, and let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let God take that moment and, and you and that individual t- go on the journey that he has. Because it'll, it'll be incredible. It'll be awesome. And I know for each of us, um, that's one of the things that God has really spoken to us in the last few years is that, um, and I'll speak for myself, like I've missed so many of those moments. And I don't want to miss any more. And so I want to step into that every day um, as best as I can, which is, isn't always great. But, um, and then uh, I'll just go a step further. If you're looking for like stage two, um, bring some people around you that you can go on that journey with. Like I have a, I have a group of people that I, I have this conversation with and I go on this journey with and, and that they help me and I help them um, in love and unity and humility to be a family. Yeah, and like one of the things that I know we wrestle with a lot is this is like a it's like a weighty thing that we've been walking through, and like this is a high calling, but also I think it's important to just recognize this isn't like a big burden put on us. This is like really freeing. It's it's like the best it's like the best way to live. But I know we've experienced it's almost like like physical rehab where it's like it hurts at the beginning because that's that's what's necessary for us to get better and uh, to be whole. And so there, when we first started asking that question, like, Holy Spirit, what do you want out of my day? It did feel kind of overwhelming, and it did feel kind of like a burden. And sometimes, I'll be honest, it still does. But what I'm discovering more and more, and I think this is true of all of us and a ton of people in our church too, uh, that it, is, it really is the most exciting way to live. Like, when we don't have purpose... Like, we're miserable. Like, we see that in work. We see that in life. We see that in relationships. Um, and so why would it be any different in our family of our church? Like, when we embrace our purpose, like, that is an exciting thing to be a part of. And I bet it's really exciting for people watching, too. Yeah, so we are a family of priest disciples who make priest disciples of all people and all nations, um, characterized by loving obedience to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit of all people in all nations. Um, every individual is equally valuable and equally lost without Jesus. I'm gonna say that again because I think that's significant. Every, every individual is equally valuable and equally lost without Jesus. Um, we, we, we have got, we've got to live in a way that, that we, our lives, communicate that to everyone. I, I, Jesus doesn't give me a right to live according to my bias or my offense that I receive from other people. 
because because the way God sees some of the people that are most frustrating to me, he sees them in a way that he gave his son to die for them. So every people and every nation. Um, I, I, I mentioned something uh, a couple weeks ago about people groups in the world, and I, I didn't really expand much, but I want to expand on that this morning. Um, a people group, as far as for gospel purposes, is a people, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. Okay, so basically a people group is the largest group of people that have a common language, a common understanding, they can communicate with each other, and that a church planting movement can come into that place. And the gospel, the gospel seed can take root. Okay, that's, that's a people group. Um, kind of in, in what distinguishes people groups is, is ideal a people group um, would always be defined to mean, number one, um, all individuals in that group understand each other reasonably well. And number two, that there, the cultural relationship barriers aren't so high that the transmission of the gospel is seriously impeded. Um, what, what that means is, is like we have people groups in our city because the cultural and relational barriers are so high that we can't clearly communicate the gospel to that person because we're, we're essentially, while we may even be speaking English, we are talking a different language. Our words mean different things. And so, and so this idea of people groups um, globally, there's an there's a organization called the Joshua Project that um, is focused in on looking at how is the gospel globally impacting uh, for the mission that Jesus gave us, which was to make disciples, baptizing them uh, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, and teaching them to obey everything that he's taught us. And that was all nations, all peoples. And so the Joshua Project kind of keeps, keeps an eye on that. And, and let me just give you this, because I th- this, is, this is sobering. In 2018, there were a total of 17,014 total people groups globally. Today, there are 17,428 people groups. Okay, so it's, it's grown by about 400 people. In 2018, there were 7,079 unreached people groups globally. 7,079. Today, there are 7,415 unreached people groups. What does that mean? In the last four years, the unreached people groups has exceeded our desire to obey Jesus. There are more unreached people groups today than there was in 2018. And meanwhile, I am comfortable I'm content 
And speaking for myself, I think I'm in rebellion. In 2018, that means there was 41.6% of the global people groups that were unreached. Today, that number is 42.5%. There's no way to get around this, that God's primary calling on his church is to reach people everywhere. But I've grown up in a context where God's primary calling isn't that. I mean, I do a little bit of that. But most of my life has been lived for my immediate context my immediate comfort, my immediate convenience, and my immediate control. I don't know that I've ever been a part of a church that would have the effect on this that God calls us to. And so for me, I'm living under conviction now that, that I am either sent or sending I'm either going or I'm helping other people go. I've not leveraged much of my life resources ability to accomplish the mission that Jesus has called us into very clearly. And I don't want to waste any more time doing that. Because I think if I stood before Jesus today I think he would be really unimpressed with the kingdom that I've built. And that's not a shame thing. That's a I think we are blinded thing. Because we don't really act much differently than the culture around us. You see, what we're called to do is we're called to prepare the way for Jesus' return and preparing the way for Jesus' return is to bring people to Jesus. And I haven't leveraged much of my life for that. I can make lots of excuses of things being inconvenient, things being uncomfortable, things being awkward. But when it comes down to it, and if I'm honest, I don't think Jesus accepts any of those excuses. And so that's, I think, that's, that's the heart of all peoples, of all nations. The, the hard and sad news is um, every one of us who treats Jesus' mission as optional, and we opt out of sharing the gospel of the kingdom, we're contributing to that growing number of people who don't know Jesus. That's the sad, hard news. The really good news is that every one of us who, despite our fear, we ask the Lord to give us courage and to be brave, 
and to do the things he's called us to do, every one of us who makes that hard decision is contributing to the return of Jesus and to that number shrinking of people who haven't heard. And personally, I want when Jesus returns to have him find me working and I want to hear him say, well done. I don't think I'm going to hear him say, well done, just because I'm a Christian. I think I'm going to hear him say, well done, if I did the things he asked me to do. And I want that. And I, I know you want that. And that's the good news. It's just taking a step anytime the Holy Spirit leads you and obeying. That's it. It's not rocket science. It's just obedience. And this doesn't mean you have to go somewhere. I'm not talking about taking trips or mission trips or being a full-time missionary. What I'm talking about, what I believe God is calling us to is, and he's always, this call hasn't changed. It's, it's every time you walk out of your house, the Holy Spirit is inside of you and every interaction you have should point to Jesus. Full stop. That, that every time I leave my house, I should, I am called, because of who I am, I am a priest disciple, and people should see that in me, and I should make sure, it is my responsibility to make sure they see that. So this isn't about like you feeling like, well, well you know, I have, I have all this stuff here, and I, I have these responsibilities, and so you're saying that I have to go somewhere. No, when you walk out of your house, this is, this is who you are. And we've got to take that seriously. I think when we say all, all people, all nations, I mean, really what we're saying is anyone other than you. I mean, that's where it really does boil down to. Um, and I think um, that while we have the interactions in the, in the immediate environment and world around us, um, and, and we're called to be engaged in those, and, and it's and it's right and appropriate and good that we step into those. Um, we also still have that responsibility of to the ends of the world. And, and I think like, okay, we have a trip of people leaving tomorrow um, to go to Kurdistan. Um, how burdened are we to be praying for that team? And we don't have to go to live out all people, all nations. Are, are we burdened to be praying for them um, every day while they're gone? Um, we have, we have trips planned in, um, to go to Mexico. Um, is, is God is calling, if you're feeling the, the call to that, like are you, are you stepping into that? Are you praying for those that are going? Um, I know I, like, I am guilty of the, um, well, I'm not called to go, and so it's out of sight, out of mind, and I don't, I don't think about it. But I think if we're a family, that burden to be praying for those people who are gone needs to be part of what it means to be a family, is to be praying and thinking and intercessing on their behalf while they are gone. Like that needs to be a burden on us if we really wanna believe all people, all nations. I think one thing that I, this is a battle in my life, but I cannot let 
the culture and the nation that I've been born into influence my view of the world which God loves and Jesus died for. So I have to make decisions as a priest disciple according to the holy nation that God has grafted me into, adopted me into, and I've got to make decisions and say, okay, this is my one job that the world would know. And, and how can they know that which I don't know? So I have to be intimate with Jesus, and I have to love his heart and his mission, and I have to obey. So Crosspoint Community Church needs to be a family of priest disciples who make priest disciples of all people in all nations characterized by loving obedience to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that last part is, is kind of the um, I think all-encompassing like bubble that, that everything exists in. Um, our ability to um, be obedient and, and, and when we talk about obedience, um, we have talked about a lot in, in the last little while. Um, we've talked about radical obedience. And, and to me, radical obedience is when we are called to do something that is so far out of our convenience, so far out of our comfort, so far out of our control, that it, it scares us to the core, that that, that is radical obedience. And, and honestly, sometimes we're called to that. that. That is sometimes, I think, what the Holy Spirit is moving us into. But I don't but I don't think that's the everyday obedience that that really God calls us to. Um, when um, Travis mentioned the the family, um, that uh, when Jesus was was out and his family came to him and they said, "Hey, your family's coming to you," and he said, "Well, who's my family?" He said, "Those those that obey my commands, those that obey me, are my family." Um, when he was with uh, the disciples, he, he called them and he said, he said um, if you love me, you will obey my commands. The idea of obedience comes out of an exercise of our, our love for Jesus as king, love for God, the creator, love for the Holy Spirit that dwells in us to guide us, to lead us. And, um, and so we have to step into that loving obedience in, in, everything, um, in everything that we do. And when we talk about obedience, like, I, I'm, I will admit, like, I, I can rebel against anything. Like, and sometimes it just requires the, you have to do this for me to be like, oh, I don't have to. Um, you know, you, I think that's in all of us. Some of us uh, live that out a little more actively than, maybe it's just me, apparently, because I don't wear flannel. Um, that but, was uh, the rule this morning, was everyone is supposed to wear a flannel, and Brett was like, not me! <laughs> That's not true, but that could happen. <laughs> um, so so that, that step of obedience really does, it has to be out of, out of our love that, that we step into that, which means it has to be filled with grace. And it has to lead towards forgiveness because we're not always going to live that way. Um, it has to be generous. When we think about obedience, to me, generosity is, is tied to that. 
Am I willing to give anything and everything for what God calls me to do? And, and there's a lot of fear in that. There's a lot of like, well, what ifs? But that, that doesn't matter. It's just the question of, am I willing to be obedient? Am I willing to be obedient in generosity? Um, and I, and I want to kind of just pose a, a couple questions because I think as I was thinking about this, like this is where it really comes down to um, what I have to process and I think we all have to process is um, uh, who wins when obedience comes in conflict with the things we want to control? Our need for control and when, and when obedience what we are being called to, when that comes in conflict to that, who wins? Does, does God win or does my sense of control win? Or, or what about comfort? Who wins when obedience leads us to have to struggle or confront the comfort that we desire? What about convenience? Who wins when obedience calls us to do something that is inconvenient or not something I want to do? Like, who wins in those? I don't want to, I think you should probably try to answer that now, out loud. But I think those are good questions to ask. How much control do I really give up? How much comfort am I really willing to give up? How much inconvenience am I willing to go through in order to be obedient to what God has called me to? So this last week we had, um, on Wednesday night, we had the, the, um, the worship night, which was incredible. We also encouraged our church to be, to be fasting and prep, in, you know, kind of leading into that as, as best as you can, you can do in that. Um, and, and so I, I showed up to work on, on Wednesday and I was uh, going into my office and another, another uh, coworker was walking down the hallway and they said, hey, Brett, and I said, hey, um, and as they got, they got up closer, they said, hey, I want to ask a question. Um, are, are you fasting today? And, and I, said, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fasting. Um, they said, oh, good, me too. I was like, oh, good, that's great. You know, and, and um, it's kind of like two coworkers acknowledging something they're doing. And then they, they went off and down the hall, and I sat on, in, my, uh, in my chair in my office, and, and I was like, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. and was like, hey, you should, you should get together and pray with them. At, at this at a time, it's like oh yeah that's a good idea. So I pulled out my phone and I texted him. I said hey do you want to do you want to pray together um, during the break time? And they're like yeah that'd be great that'd be great. Um, and and so we did and and it was an incredible um, incredible experience. Like w- Wednesday night was great, but um, that moment that that step of obedience to hear the Holy Spirit to respond to act in that moment. Um, and that story is not entirely true as you've told it. <laughs> because you told me what the Spirit said to you. So what did the Spirit say to you, Brett? Yeah, so, you know, the Holy Spirit, like we like to think that, I, I like to think that it's always a nice, gentle comfort. Like, I, you know, like, hey, you know, do this. But really, I sat down in the chair and it was like, um, if, if, if I could give voice to the Holy Spirit, it, it was, um, uh, I sat down in my chair and was like, hey, Hey, idiot, ask him to come pray with you at, at 10 o'clock. Like, you know, I, and, and that's honestly like how it felt. Um, so, yes, that, that was the part I kind of left out. But, like, 
sometimes we need that, and, and, and I did, obviously. Um, but, uh, and, and it was, it was, I mean, I can't, I can't describe just how much it felt like a family to, to do that in that moment. It's not someone that I, I interact with, you know, I do interact with them regularly, but they're not necessarily part of, like, the team that I'm usually working with. But so, um, but it was just so great. And it, and it was such a moment where it's like, okay, this is the Holy Spirit talking, and this is what it feels like to obey. And I want to feel this obedience step with Jesus more than the feelings I feel when I'm like, oh, I probably should have done that, but I didn't. So I could have sat in my chair. My door was closed. They were already kind of around the corner. I could have just sat there and like, oh, well, that, that's, passed, that's passed on. Um, but um, the Holy Spirit was loud enough in my head to, um, to get me to not do that. So that loving obedience, I think, is if we don't do that, none of the other, none of the other can happen. I, I think for me, it, when I think of that loving obedience to the Father, Son, and the Spirit, I, maybe this is similar for you. I, I have grown up in a Christian culture where um, my faith is much more therapeutic than it is obedient. Um, Jesus died for me. He saved me to make me, to fulfill me and, and to make me complete. And I have this, even though scripture maybe says otherwise, I have this expectation or very strong desire that becomes expectation that things will go well for me. And that my faith, and that when there is a difficulty or something comes up in my life that's difficult, it grates against this therapeutic faith that I have and it says there's something wrong because I'm not feeling good. And really, if you look at what faith is biblically, it is obedience. Yes, Jesus died for me to forgive me of my sins, which I can't forgive myself or be forgiven by anyone else. Jesus has to do that. He did that, and he did make me whole. But faith is obedience, and that's the thing that we, we don't really have. I don't know that we have obedience-based discipleship in our churches. I think we have this therapeutic-based discipleship, and those are two very different things that lead us to two very different places. And I don't know that scripture has a context of therapeutic-based discipleship. And so for me, that's what, and it comes from love. It comes from, I love Jesus and I will obey him. It's not, I love Jesus because he makes me feel good. He does. And joy is so much deeper than therapy. (laughs) It's so much deeper than therapy. But there's a joy in obedience. And so I think that's a big part of this. So we want to um, invite the worship band back up on stage. And this, um, this place that we're trying to go, um, we're not there. We, we know that. But this is where we're going. And it only seems appropriate that... Um, there's, we kind of wrap up, wrap up the service today. We wrap it up as a family. When, when Jesus was with his disciples on the last day, um, the last night when he was betrayed, um, he was with his family. He was with his disciples. And he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. And, and he passed it. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is 
um, been, been um, spilled for your forgiveness of sins. And, and he passed it. And, and in each one, he said, um, when you are together, do this in remembrance of me. Do this as an act of an activity of a family. And so we're here together as a family. So I want to invite us to um, share in communion together as a family. So if, um, if, if you're, wherever you're sitting, um, uh, consider where it is that God wants you to move. Um, as the band plays, share in communion with those around you. Maybe you want to get up and like, like move to a different part of the worship center. Maybe you want to just turn around to the person behind you. Whatever, whatever you feel like the Holy Spirit is, is moving in you um, in this moment. But I also want you um, to recognize that if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you today, if you've been stirred, um, that something is, is, is been stirred in you to, to live out, to, to act upon, um, when you share communion, share that as well. Don't keep that hidden inside. Don't make it just a, oh, it's just an inside Brett kind of a thing, or it's just an inside you kind of a thing. But, but share that with your family because that's what we want to be. We want to be family. So part of being is starting to act like. Um, so we have love, we have unity, we have humility, um, and we can come to the Lord's table in all of that together. So let me pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for you, um, that you have created this world, that when you created it, you said it was good. When you created us, you said we were good. But you never said we were perfect because perfection only comes through your son. So we thank you for him. But your son doesn't just belong to us, but it belongs to all of humanity, all that you've created. And, and we want, we so desperately want all of humanity to experience your son and the forgiveness that he brings so that we can be priest disciples who make priest disciples that invite people back into the family of God where we can experience love, where we get to live out loving obedience to the Holy Spirit, to your Son, Jesus, to the Heavenly Father. So we thank you. So as we share in communion together, Lord, continue to bring us together as a family. We can't do it on our own. We need you to move us. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.